Welcome to the latest edition of the Build It Up podcast. I'm your host, Alex Moody, the CEO of Moody Cadellan Partners. And today I've got with me Terry Moody, AKA Dad, <laughs> as, the, as the host. Uh, Terry is the co-founder of Moody Cadellan Partners. He started the business in 1981 when I was one year old, so I had absolutely nothing to do with it founded it with his business partner David Cadell and built it into one of the largest and most successful finance broking and insurance broking firms in the country. Um, he's now comfortably retired, uh, still uh, you know, gets weekly if not daily calls from me from various uh, pieces of, of sage strategic advice. Um, but, but otherwise is enjoying a, a, a new uh, farm and a new life as a uh, as a farmer, um, which we can hear a little bit, little bit about later. But what we really want to do is dive into your early stage. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you because so much of this, we probably, you know, we have father-son conversations, we have mates conversations, we have a lot of business conversations, but there's probably a whole bunch of stuff which we're going to talk about today, which I don't really know about, about the early stages of the business, things that happened in the business. Obviously, you know, the majority of the time that the business has been around, I've been alive, but certainly not been active in the business. So I'm really keen to, to dive into that. Before we do, I want to talk to you a little bit about early days, particularly as it pertains to work. So um, first question is, what was your first job? My first job ever, ever. your first job oh, ever. Oh, my first job ever. Well, um, I worked uh, for my, my father had quarries and I worked in a quarry um, shoveling crusher dust from underneath the um, uh, from underneath the crusher, and uh, that was that was important because I wasn't great at study, and uh, my father said to me, "Son, if you uh, want to do that, if you want to uh, shovel crusher dust for the rest of your life, keep on not studying." So that that sort of changed my <laughs> that, changed, that changed my world. Uh, like you, uh, very much like you, I was really interested in sport, really enjoyed the sport. And uh, my studies went by the wayside until that uh, that conversation I had with my father. So, um, how old were you then? Oh, I was fifteen. Um, so that was you know Christmas holidays, and um, uh, it was really really hard work. It was it was you know it was um, uh, just outside Caboolture, North uh, Brisbane, in the summertime. Um, it's funny, it was, it I, didn't, I, I had the same, basically the same job at the, pretty much the same time working for Hilly, George T. Hill Haulage, yeah. shoveling <laughs> 20 mil blue, blue metal. Why do you think I did that too? That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, so, and, and just tell us a little bit about Popper, about, about your old man and, and his background and he was inquiring, he was selling machinery at the point. Yeah, uh, Dad, um, um, just immediately after the war, uh, Dad was a mechanical engineer during the war and after the war he um, uh, he sold Britstand dozers and um, he worked for a company called Isis, believe it or not, that, it, which was part of International Harvester, I think, um, and then went on to Caterpillar and his, uh, his sales area was far west of Queensland. So. Um, I have memories of um, going out to Birdsville, um, sitting in the back of a, you know, early 1960s Ford Zephyr, no aircon manual, um, dirty petrol with a, you know, a tin of petrol sitting on the on the bonnet with Dad grab, having gravity feed it into the carburetor, um, and uh, he'd take us out on his sales trips as you know holidays, <laughs> and uh, so and they were a lot of fun. Um, they were a real introduction to, um, you know, to, to uh, rural Queensland and, and remote Queensland as well. Um, and Dad in the 1950s had um, built, uh, he'd got a contract to build a dam over the Mary River, um, which was uh, uh, successfully completed. Um, I remember I he, he had a little document with the, the, the total price of the dam, which I think was Ninety thousand pounds, and he showed it to me, and a, a mate of mine said, "You know, Terry, today, you, you know, if you converted that to today, to, today, to today's dollars, you wouldn't be able to get the specs for the EIS for the, for the environmental impact statement um, for that amount of money. So, not you wouldn't get the EIS, you wouldn't get the specifications for the EIS for that amount of money. 
So they were real pioneers. Um, how they did a lot of the stuff they did with the gear they did, um, it's pretty impressive. So then he um, had his own agency, Abling Barford. Um, he had uh, he went from that. Uh, he was so uh, the Abling Barford agent for Queensland. They they sold uh, road making equipment, uh, graders and uh, rollers, and then he um, started a couple of quarries, and um, that was sort of when I was, you know. Just about 15, I was, uh, you know, I was playing rugby, I was rowing, I thought I was really fit until I went to the quarry. <laughs> and I found out I wasn't fit. Um, and, um, uh, but I had a lot of fun, learned how to drive a truck. Um, so, uh, you know, fought some fires, uh, did all sorts of stuff. Uh, learned a little bit about machinery. Um, I remember we went and um, uh, put in a new crusher and um, we drove out to some um, remote place that where, where they had a, um, quite a large quarry that closed and Dad bought a, a lot of the bits and pieces then got them transported back and put them all together and, and uh, you know, I was a very minor part of passing him you know, um, spanners and things to help him do it and, and others do it and um, so I learned a bit out of that. He, uh, he enjoyed racing cars um, and so I was his sidekick for that, which was a lot of fun. Um, it, and it was only very amateurish racing, but, uh, but you know, as I said, I was his sidekick for that, which I enjoyed. So um, uh, when um, so I, I went to the UK, um, and uh, when I returned from the UK, started for, with a company called Australian Guarantee Corporation, which. You know, it was a significant financier in those days. It, it, uh, I think, from memory at the time I joined it, um, the Bank of New South Wales in those days had a share that wasn't a major shareholder. Uh, but it, it, by itself, was I think, it was the seventh largest company by capitalisation in the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, so it, that's AGC. That's AGC. Which eventually was kind of it was just absorbed, morphed by into Westpac and sold to GE. Parts of it sold to GE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So. Yeah. They had they had a whole pile of divisions. Interestingly enough, um, so I ended up in the in the le in the leasing division. Leasing was the most popular product, finance product, commercial finance product for equipment in those days because it had a lot of tax advantages. Um, and um, uh, I went from collections where I learned a lot. Um, collecting that their view was the first thing you learn is how to collect money. And then if you learn how hard it is to get it back, you're much more cautious about getting it out. Um, and, and I think they were right. Um, you have stories from... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you would have been, what, 19 or something? No, I was 20, right. 21. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a... I, I'd had a couple of years, you know, in Europe and the UK, just bumming around doing all sorts of other Actually, my first job in the UK is worth what I'm talking about. Um, I arrived there, I think on the Tuesday by Thursday, I had a job because I, I had no money, so I just took the first job I could get. And um, I worked for a company called Collier and Southey who, um, uh, who made commercial art supplies. And they, in, in those days, prior to you know, computers, um, there was a product called Letraset, which, which graphic artists used to use to um, uh, rub onto pieces of paper, you know, big, big, what they call dry mounting board, where they'd lay out the, the page that they were going to print. And um, <clears throat> anyway, you've got to make dry mounting board, I had no idea. So the way you make it is it's uh, cardboard covered in fine paper. Well, my first job um, with Colin Southey was to, in the morning, go and get a big pallet of fine uh, paper, a big pallet of cardboard, and interleave them. That was my that was my day. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but I worked my way up from that, thank God. Um, so um, uh, yeah, so I had a couple of years in the UK. Um, uh, then I became a scaffolder's labourer, which was a bit of a miracle because I suffered from vertigo. Um, but but uh, I was I was making sure I was down on the ground on the, on the, on the truck throwing the stuff up, and then. Um, uh, worked in a restaurant um, and uh, then um, returned to Australia, um, worked for AGC and um, 
I actually applied, AGC had a division called the AGC uh, Wales Liaison, I worked there, which was involved me sort of um, uh, sourcing business from Bank of New South Wales bank managers, and that was interesting. Um, and um, so I, you're I, a BDM. For I was a BDM to, to the bank branches, yeah, and and, and, a, and a group of less sales-oriented people you'd probably never come across. So that 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 was that that was good training. Um, and um, from there, I made I made an application to join. Um, uh, they had a. Uh, the division that invested in various businesses and I made an application to, to join that division and, and uh, my application um, um, wasn't uh, successful and as a result of that I sort of took a bit of hemorrhage and, and then I got, an I got an invitation from a braking firm to join them and I took it. So um, I started braking in 19, January 1978. So what was the braking fraternity like back then? I mean, Very was, small, yeah. yeah, very small. Um, especially, um, there were probably three or four firms um, of any size. There was virtually no mortgage brokers at all. Uh, I can't recall. Um, there was there were probably two, two um, Howard's Funds Management, which I, 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 Brett Howard was a mortgage broker uh, that became Howard's Funds Management. Um, um, there were. Very, very few mortgage brokers. In fact, I can't think of any residential mortgage brokers that there were full stop. In terms of commercial equipment, there was um, uh, you know, maybe half a dozen firms and that was about it. So it was, very, it, it was almost unheard of. I, I regularly had to tell people what I did, how I did it. And the easiest explanation was, well, you know about insurance brokers, well, I did that for equipment. But, uh, finance, but it, that often didn't quite come across as the, an explanation. But, but <laughs> we don't really know what insurance brokers do. That was pretty easy. Um, but it, it um, so it was pretty easy to to sort of um, drift towards um, you know heavy machinery, uh, which is where I guess this company's made its biggest mark, and that's because you know the background I had from my father and also. It, you know, it's serialised, it's readily identifiable, um, you know, the equipment's not released without uh, payment, that's, that's a good thing because if you're doing, you know, a lot of other, uh, financing a lot of other equipment, the equipment gets released and the customer's, you know, reluctant to settle and you end up in a battle between the supplier and the customer, you know, because, you know, something's not right or this is not, you know, okay and then the supplier gets upset and you, you just end up in a in the middle of something that is really not in your wheelhouse or in your area of, um, that you have any control over. Um, so um, the business sort of started off basically uh, David Cadell and I working within uh, a company called Associated Brokers, which so that was the firm that you joined. Yeah, yeah that was the firm we joined, and it, it effectively was an aggregator of such. So it it it, it rented some office space, uh, employed some staff, uh, administration staff. Um, and then each broker sort of ran their own race within within that entity. Um, it it uh, actually you were the reason for Moody Cadell because I had my own sort of small enterprise and David joined, and um, I was sort of uh, on a trip back to the UK um, with your mother to show you off to your grandparents. And said to David, "Oh, can you look after some of my um, uh, my um, clients for a little while?" And he said, "No, no, but I'll have half your business." So I sort of thought about that for a while, and I said, "Yeah, okay." And so we sort of made a we we ended into that partnership in December '81. So what exactly was the partnership? Obviously, he's not going to take half of yours without you, you taking you taking half of his. So is it, that's yeah, what it was. yeah. So basically, we just said, "Okay, from now on, we'll just share right. whatever comes in the door. It's 50-50. Right. And um, you know, so there was never a thing. Oh, you're you earn more than me this month, right? No, no. And, was and that written into an agreement, or how did you no, know? no, never. Just a handshake. Um, right. Not even probably not even a handshake. Just right. a, just a nod. Just a nod. Maybe even just a wink. I don't know. <laughs> and maybe a wink and a nod. What was your relationship with David before that moment? I mean, how much time had you spent with him? How did you, you know, 
Not a great deal. Um, I'd worked with him for probably 12 months. Um, but just in the same office? Yeah, worked in the same office, yeah. Would you yeah. spitball deals with each other and say, oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, and, I, and, my, and, and, and sort of really um, marking ideas. I mean, what we do, the, the key part is actually um, sourcing clients, and, and that's, that's the key part of what we do. It's finding, finding customers is the, is the key. So, um, because typically, if once you've found the customer and you, if you if you're halfway good at what you do, um, you'll retain the customer. Um, so, you know, we we had the skills and expertise. We had the spread of lenders. Um, uh, we understood the credit process, um, and um, we made it pretty easy for for customers. You know. But, People have often said to me, oh, why would I deal with you? Why wouldn't I just go straight to the bank? It is, I've been doing a bunch of discovery meetings, which is our first meeting with a new um, employee that comes to Moody Cadell, and, and often they've not worked in this industry before, and often their first question when I explain what we do is, why would they not go to the bank? So it's, it's great to hear the, yeah. the answer from the horse's mouth. So well, my response often is, have you tried it? <laughs> because if you can get somebody to ring you back, you, you've done well, um, and usually the person who rings you back has no idea who you are, and they have no idea what you're talking about. So, um, I mean, I, I don't blame the banks for that. They're very, very large institutions, and you know, within and their focus seems to really be in the homeland market. Once you, you know, commercial is much more specialised. Um, so once you start to talk about uh, commercial equipment, um, they'll probably have a specialist if you can get hold of them. So, um, yeah, so re really it was the sourcing of clients. David, David was a master of that. Um, you know, they say what that. Was his, what was his, yeah, what was his special secret oh, sauce? He's just got an incredible enthusiasm for it, I think. And, and um, uh, that's, that's, you know, and a don't, don't take no for an answer policy. And, and, and persistence, real persistence of going back and, and keeping on presenting why we're going to make a difference to a business. Because if you're talking to an introducer, somebody who's going to give you business on a regular basis, you've got to add value to their business. You know, saying, introduce customers to me, please, doesn't cut the mustard. It's what can I do for you? And that's the same thing that you've got to do for the for, for, for your equipment finance customer. You've got to add value to their business. So what value are you you're adding? That they can't get themselves by doing it themselves, um, and if you can't if you can't show that if you can't show you're adding value, um, then there's no reason for them to do business with you. Chat um, to us about the fractured debt model because that's probably a pretty substantial value add to a business that's got a, a you know a lot of debt requirement. I mean, yeah. customer walks into the door, they need you know one VW Amarok every five years. We can add. A certain degree of value to that, but we really shine when the customer has, sure. you know, a requirement for a fleet of excavators or something. So just chat to us about how how that adds value to their business. Yeah. Well, just going through the person who who comes in for the one-off Amarok, it just in terms of the time-saving function, you know, and and uh, getting it right and making sure they've got the right product, the right term that they're after. You know, if we're doing our job right, we'll we will match. Uh, the transaction, you know, payments to their cash flow, what their expectation of cash flow is, and that can be done by adjusting a balloon up or down, um, so that you know what they're paying off during the period suits them. They may want to trade the, the vehicle in in two years, so why would you want to take off take a five year deal if you if you know you're going to get rid of it in two years, etc., etc. So, just matching the the, the the term of the deal, the structure of the deal to the requirements of the customer, that adds value. And, and then there's the time save and, and um, uh, doing what we do. For example, you know, we ensure um, in the contract there'll, there'll be a requirement for the customer to insure the goods and note the, the, the financier on the, on the insurance contract. It's interesting, some of the banks, when they settle transactions, don't insist on seeing that you've done it. Um, it's in the document, but unless you're going to sit there and read through a 20-page document, 
um, you probably didn't pick up the fact that it's your responsibility to do it. Sometimes in the excitement of acquiring a new vehicle, people don't go out and renew their insurance. They don't have the the, um, the serial number and the, the registration number at the time, you know, because it all happens at, right on delivery. Um, so sometimes people think, oh, I'll get the insurance, you know, you know, and I, when I've got all the registration papers, I'll get the, the insurance in a couple of days. And I've had I've, I had a customer who who literally bought a new vehicle and drove it the width of the footpath from the car dealer and onto Parramatta Road and had it wiped out. And thank God the thing was insured. So just those those things of picking up, doing that for the customer, asking them who's your insurance broker, who do you insure with? We've got we've got we 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 require the all of the serial numbers and VIN number and, and chassis number and registration number of the vehicle in order to do the finance documents. We then send that to the insurance broker or insurer and say, your customer is so-and-so, they're buying this car, here's the details, here's the copy of the invoice, here's the price, da 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 da, da. Um, Send us a, a certificate of currency. So we've got a certificate of currency on our hands before the deal settles, which means that if you were the one who drove out across the footpath and got it wiped out, you're insured. Um, so just then going on to the fractured debt model, the idea of the fractured debt model is this. Um, uh, if you, if you look from the uh, credit perspective of a lender, um, typically they have, uh, um, often for businesses of the size we're talking about, there'll be um, uh, overdraft facilities. Those overdraft facilities have what's called a, a, an all, are an all money's mortgage. In other words, it says, um, we've got a security over your property for any amount of money it's an open-ended amount, um, dependent upon the amount of the overdraft we approve for you. Um, so if we, if you ring up and say, you know, can you increase my overdraft from 100,000 to 300,000, they say yes, and, that, and the, the, there'll be a confirmation letter, but they don't have to draw another mortgage. So the all money's mortgage part also takes into account every other asset, every other debt that you've got to to, to the bank. So that would include your equipment finance debt. So typically, you know, you have um, all of your debt tied up in one spot against all of your assets. Now, if anything goes wrong and you go through a down period, um, and typically, you know, we go through a down period in this country, you know, every decade or so, um, banks will start to look at the amount of security they've got. The equipment finance debt, instead of sort of being securing itself, they'll look at it at, at you know, 30% of its written down value. So all of a sudden, your $400,000 truck, they'll see it as having a, a um, $120,000 value and they'll want to take the missing $280,000 of equity against your property when they do their calculation. So why would you have a fraction debt model? So by that I mean you have some debt with one financier, some debt with another financier, some debt with another financier. And so you're spreading your risk. So if one of those, um, you know, if your bank says, I don't want to do it, you've already got a relationship and, and, uh, and, and you know, hopefully a long, longish term relationship with another lender who knows you. So you're not going to them, you know, at the last minute where you've got no, no bargaining power, that they, that they have a relationship with you, they know you. Um, relationships are key in lending. Um, people who are, you know, already on the books, already a customer, definitely have a, a, an advantage over somebody who's not already on the books and not already a customer. So that's that's the key part. And so you look to, in the growth phase of a business, in the good times, start to build those relationships by separating Exactly. Even though it's maybe it's easier for us as a broker, maybe it's easier for the customer because they've already given the financials to one lender, yep. just to build one relationship with one lender, it's yep. actually an insurance policy. Exactly. To start to proactively, and, and maybe there's a, there's a premium for doing that, a small um, interest rate premium 
for diversifying your, 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 your debt, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But if there, if there is, then that premium, that that's part it, of your insurance. It's like an insurance. It's like an insurance premium. Yeah. yeah. And and look, I've <clears> seen <throat> I've seen um, in the past customers, you know, when things do get tight. Two things happen when things get when, when things get tight. You know, money money slow. You know, the rate of the rate of of money moving through the economy slows down. And then all you need is for somebody that owes you money, one of your debtors, to, to go broke, and then you're missing a chunk of money. So you're net more reliant on your, on your overdraft facilities. If something goes wrong there and, and that they're not available, the first thing you'll say is, oh, you know, I've been banking here for 20 years and they didn't support me, I'm going somewhere else. And so you think you're just going to change your mortgage on your, your commercial property, probably on your home, you know, from one, one, one of the big four to another. Um, but often they'll say, no, if you go, you, you take all your equipment debt with you. We, if, if, you if, you know, if you're going, it, it's like a bad marriage. You, you, you're out altogether. You, you, you don't get to stay part, part of the time there. So that, that's the, that becomes a real problem um, because all of a sudden you're asking a bank who, you've never, who knows nothing about you to take on the new uh, mortgage debt and or property debt and also the equipment debt at a time when it's pretty clear another bank's trying to exit you. And so the new bank's saying, well, why would we do that deal when our, you know, our colleagues over the road are trying to kick this person out? So, and you never know when that, any of that's gonna happen. I mean. We look back on 2008, who would have expected that, you know, the whole world almost froze. Um, you look back on this period, which has been the most extraordinary period. Um, you know, a, a health crisis, um, an economic crisis, you know, that sort of followed it up. Now we've got a debt crisis following that up. Um, and I don't know that this whole thing is fully paid out, played out. I think Australia's in a remarkably wonderful position to um, uh, you know, to 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 thrive. Um, this is probably one of the times when it's not a bad thing to be, you know, isolated from the rest of the world. But um, it's, it, you know, there there's always something around the corner. Um, a wise man once told me that, um, you know, the thing about business is you're either, you know, coming into or going out of a crisis. And the thing about, you know. Um, being in a crisis is the best thing about it is you know you can't, you're, the next stage is coming out of it. and the worst thing about not being in a crisis is you know that the next stage is going into one so so if you've got that mindset that everything's always going to change and then you set yourself up for that there's no surprises you know there's no and there's no disappointments I guess yeah. because you're already prepared for it now um, does that mean You've got to do a little bit more work or well, you know we did work but yes it does um, does that mean that you know uh, you need to you need to manage it, it look it's like it, it, it's like your own debtors you know it, when you when you look at um, uh, the the uh, cash flow you know invoice finance industry one of the things they won't do or one of, one, of, one of the key risks that they see is the concentration of debtors. So if you've got you know, more than 80% of your debtors with one company, even though if that company's you know, BHP, that, that, they don't like it because they want to see a spread. But any good credit risk is about spread. So if you then start to think of your own business, you've got a spread of people you do business with, you've got a spread of people uh, that you buy, buy you know, materials from, You've got a spread of people that you have equipment finance with, and that's sort of the same idea, I guess. Um, chat to us about the early days. You know, so you've got um, you started this partnership with David Cadell. What I mean today, we use Microsoft Teams and we use DocuSign and all of that technology. Um, tell us a little bit about. I mean, not exclusively, of course. We we still actually see humans face to face. Um, but talk to us about the early days and what that would act, you know, how, how it was like to actually run a deal. Oh, well, um, took a lot of time. Um, 
So no uh, internet banking, no internet. Um, no mobile phones. Um, so uh, back in the day, um, a lot of time running around trying to find uh, public phone booths that hadn't been vandalised. Um, <laughs> and uh, we actually installed two-way radios. That was our big. That, that was our big attack on uh, on um, on technology. You know, we had two-way radios in our cars, which was, which was great because you could radio back to the office and ask them to call somebody. Right. Um, but um, <laughs> we were on the same <laughs> frequency as a firm of removalists, which was always funny. Uh, so, so um, uh, everything was paper-based. We we would uh, um, we there were typewriters, no uh, no word processors, so documents had to be absolutely 100% correct. You couldn't use whiteout or anything like that. Um, so uh, in those days, the, 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 the admin staff who did the typing were, they were gold. They, they were the most important people in the office. Um, and because they had to be absolutely accurate. And uh, so you would, you would physically, you, you'd get uh, um, invoices posted to you. Um, we, fairly early on, we, 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 we got a fax. Um, good story about the fax machine. It used to come out on the paper that was sort of that that um, uh, reactive paper that they sometimes see in in um, in, in um, uh, you know accounting machines, old accounting machines. Anyway, the 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 uh, the print on this thing used to run. <laughs> one of the one of, one of the admin staff put in a bloody um, a. Uh, a clothesline. We used to pin this stuff up on the clothesline and let it dry out before we'd put it in a folder. It was classic. But anyway, um, so um, we had to have original invoices, so we'd had to wait till those arrived in the post. We'd drive out and see a customer and get them to sign everything. And then we'd have to drive the, the, uh, the signed documents into, into the bank, um, wherever they were. Um, whether they're in the city or, or Parramatta or, or Sydney. Payments, direct debit? No, 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 no. Everyone's paid by check. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll come back to that. So, so um, uh, the, um, they would have, um, uh, you'd get the check, it'd be a bank check to pay the supplier. So you'd have to drive back out to the supplier to uh, deliver the check. So that the customer could pick up their gear, and then the payments were were not direct debit; they were periodical payments. So there was a very slight difference. So a periodical payment authority was an authority to from the customer to their bank to make a payment to a third party. A direct debit is a is an authority from the customer to the third party to debit the their bank account. So yeah, so it was all on periodical payments. Quite a lot of coupon books. People wanted a coupon book, so you had a uh, you, people would post in a cheque with a coupon um, to say this is what it's for. Um, and then at the other end, a lot of manual accounting. Um, and I've been through that process with AGC. We had these big ledgers which were, you know, sort of a metre high and thick, and you'd bring them out in the morning and turn them over and go through all the ledger cards. Physically go through the ledger cards. So that's how the accounting was done. Um, uh, you know, all the te technology has just made everything so much better. But at the end of the day, I think people like dealing with people. And if we can't deal with people, then, you know, the, the, the value add is to deal with people who help you through the process and do, or do most of the process for you. And, you know, that's what we should be doing. And I think that's what we do do. And I think that's why we're um, you know, I've long said, um, bring people back, arrive on time, do a good job, clean up after yourself and charge what you quote and 99% of people will do business with you again. The key thing I said there is do a good job. So you don't have to have the, you know, the fastest car, you don't have to have the biggest of whatever, you don't have to have the lowest interest rate, you don't have to have the best of anything. You, you've got to be good, but you don't have to be the best for 99% of people to deal with you again. 
because most people don't do the other parts, which is when people back alive on time, clean up after themselves and charge what they quote. You know, my analogy is if you're a house painter, do a good job, just don't spill the paint on the sandstone path. You know, that's that, that, and 99% of people will do, but you don't have to be Michelangelo. You know, you don't have to be the person that painted the Sistine Trek Chapel. So you don't have to be, you know, as I said, Michelangelo, just be good and be neat and tidy arrive on time, clean up after yourself. That's, you know, for us, that's making sure that everything's neat and tidy, the insurance part's done, that the we've told the supplier that the transaction's settled so that there's a seamless collection of the equipment, there's no confusion. Oh, no, we haven't got the payment yet. No, you can't have it, all that sort of stuff. Um, so if, we're, if, we, if we've got that whole process packaged so it's seamless for the customer, um, and we're good at what we do, then you know most people will do business with again. And I, and I think, you know, over the years we've grown our business really on our repeat business of, of customers. We've got customers now, you know, where we're well second generation with you, and and you know some some of their second generation, in some cases their third generation that we're dealing with, um, which is which is really lovely. So you and David had a philosophy or a number of philosophies, which um, obviously helps establish the customer base and a referral base. How did you actually grow the business in, in terms of training and developing and you know, building you know, structure and process and all that sort of stuff, training? Um, we, we embarked on, <laughs> believe it or not, we embarked on writing a little bit of software. Um, not that we did it, not that we wrote the software, but we had to have somebody do it for us. And in order to do that, we needed um, to, on paper, uh, document the entire process of what we did um, and all the variables of what could happen on the way. It took us quite some time and we employed uh, one of the fellows uh, who had written software for company called E-Trade, which was one of the first online um, sock broking uh, businesses. So he used to moonlight in our office. He'd come in about half past five and he was a particularly relaxed young man. He used to sort of slump down in his chair and David had a nickname for him, Captain Valiant. So Captain Valiant <laughs> would come in at, at half past five and leave at about half past nine. We'd be there and we'd be sort of whiteboarding out what the process was and then um, you know how many characters we could have in each box and how each box related to uh, each other box and whatever so we documented that and then we tried he sort of did a, a draft build as it were and then eventually we we partnered with a company who who uh, built it and then they they as for, for building it for us at a low price we gave them the right to sell it to others. Um, so it sort of became one of the early bits of uh, um, an early CR equipment finance specific CRM. What's it called? That was called Finesse, yeah. Um, and uh, it, it, um, it, it, was, it was good for us it, because a lot of the process, um, you know, there's, there's core data that you've got, obviously you've got the client, name, address, um, you know, telephone number, you know, in those days, fax number, you know, before email and so on. And then, and we build it and then they've got a relationship with their bank, they've got a relationship with their accountant, they've got a relationship with their, um, with their uh, insurance broker, um, they've got a relationship with their solicitor. So we'd record all that and then it, you know, it allowed us to say, okay, well, you know, XYZ accountants who are their customers that are our customers. And then that allowed, allowed us to go and talk to XYZ accountants and say, look, 10 of your customers are our customers. Ask them what they think of us and what the job we do. And, you know, we can obviously tee up and say, listen, we're going to talk to your account. Would you recommend us? And then people would say, yeah, we'll recommend you. And so, well, here's, well, here's all the recommendations. You know, if you've got any other customers that look like our customers, 
you know, the, the, the commercial businesses that need equipment that we can be of assistance to. So that, that was sort of part of the way we then went around, you know, the, coming off the, the CRM and understanding who our customer was, what they did, that became the, the, the core part of then the marketing side of it, you know, going back into that. And it's interesting that a lot of accounting firms have see, you know, developed an expertise and and therefore a cohort of customers that are, you know, look the same. And so that, that suited us. Um, so that finesse was, was big for us. And then we had um, uh, Michael Gerber's The E-Myth. We, we, we went and did those. Um, yeah, that, that was big for us. The whole idea of working. So you did a seminar with, with you? Yeah, with yeah, you? yeah. Working on your business rather than in your business. Um, that really took hold for us. Um, so the E-Myth is, do you want to talk about what the E-Myth actually is? Well, your memory is probably greater than mine because I was going to talk about something else. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so the e-myth is the entrepreneurial myth, which is that you start a business and, you know, you're a baker, you start a business and um, the dream is that you, you know, you're running your own business, you're your own boss. And then what you find is you're baking the bread, you're behind the tills during the day, you're, you know, sweeping the floors at night and then you know, in the wee hours in the morning, you're, you're doing, doing the accounting. Yeah. <laughs> and you realize that what you've done is you just bought yourself a 24 seven job. And so the e-myth is about, um, you know, working on your business, which is, and one of the first kind of steps in that is to designate, is to understand what are the roles that are required within the business. And let's say it's a, there's two people in the business, there's a Terry and there's a David, is to assign names to each of the roles. That, that role might be ARAP, um, for, you know, financial accounting, that role might be sales, that role might be operations management, it might be administration, whatever it is. And over time, first of all, you, you populate each of those roles with the people that are in the business at the time. And then over time, you replace yourself with each of those roles with, with specialists, a marketing manager, an HR manager, a whatever, sales manager, whatever it is. And when you go through that process, and I'm sure many of you have already done all this, but when you go through that process, you realise that doing this, that being in this in the business of owning a, and operating a baking business is different from being a baker. <laughs> they are two totally different roles, and a lot of people are good at, um, in this analogy, being a baker, and don't work on being really good at being in business. Um, so. Uh, that, we, we did all that around about the same time as we, was, we were building the software. Um, and so that, and just to summarize, maybe, um, or to kind of draw on a point, would you say that the software, like the, the process of building the software had you, made you stop and actually think about the process within the business and therefore absolutely. you would then use that to, to train other people and that also the mere fact of having the software meant that people had to use it and therefore had to follow the same the one process exactly so it, it prior to that we 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 we'd use word um and um you know anything could get changed you know like it, it, every document was just changeable mm. there was no format to anything um and um we didn't use excel a lot so um you know you couldn't draw data you couldn't draw client data out it was just you know, we had the information, but it wasn't in a format you could use. And therefore, you know, everything was sort of almost personal to the brain of the person who was working on that little bit. As a, and so we didn't, we, you couldn't integrate and you couldn't, you couldn't delegate. Um, so you had, you know, the people who were um, senior in the business, you know, filing stuff into filing cabinets. Well. That doesn't make a lot of sense. It's the same thing about the Baker story you've got there. So, so I guess doing those two things at the same time were key to us, the e-myth and then um, building the software. And building the software, as I said, really made us concentrate on what we knew and what we were doing, but it just made us concentrate on what the process was and then how we could improve the process and then how we could make sure that the process couldn't be stepped around so that you, you know because it's always on the the transaction that you 
least want a failure for there to be a failure. And, and typically, once the train goes off the rails, it just keeps on heading, you know, off to disaster. So you don't want it to head off the rails. You know, you don't want at any point anything to not be, you know, the way you've set out for it to be. Or, or, or if it does look like it, you, you've got some warning and you've got some advance notice, and you can, you know, you, you can save it. Uh, look, there's always, you know, there's always times that you think that job could have been done better. But that's the, that's when you learn. That's when you learn that, you know, there was a risk there you could, you could have dealt with, it and, and uh, you, um, you tighten that up and you change that. So I'm not trying to advocate that once you've done something, that's it, and you don't do it, you don't revisit it. In fact, I know when you took over, I kept on saying to you before you do anything. Talk to David and I because everything you you want to do we've already done, and not to say that we've done it well, but it'll give you a starting point to, to to look at what we've done, and and we would do it again and again and again and go over it again, and subsequently to that we we've now built Skybolt, um, well Jack and you have built Skybolt, um, which was a super powerful CRM that's cloud based, um, but. We use finesse as a sort of a basis of the whole thing. Oh, sort of. I mean, it was literally a. It was shoehorning that entire concept into the Salesforce.com um, yeah. infrastructure. Yeah. It is it is exactly what finesse was, but just on a um, just supercharged with you know the, the beast that is Salesforce. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about. Um, I know the GFC was a pretty major event in your career and also in the career of the business. It was pretty destructive um, in the short term, but it also then, and we were actually talking about another sort of project, which is the concept of climbing out. But part of that was um, in, in that sort of rebuild phase, um, the development of what is now the graduate program. So just chat to us a little bit about the, you know, 08, you know, what, what went on in the markets then and what went on in, in you know, equipment finance breaking in our business period? I think, um, you know, 08 was just, uh, for those who are, you know, in the finance industry, you know, I say to people, it was the global financial crisis. So it wasn't a global construction crisis or a global fashion crisis. It was the global financial crisis. So. The whole thing was that, um, you know, banks, it, it, the starting point is everybody borrows. Banks borrow, governments borrow, companies borrow, people borrow, everyone borrows. So just what happened was there was just this big um, uh, crunch in the, in the cog of the wheel of, of borrowing. So that uh, Australian banks were finding it difficult to borrow, uh, you know, governments were finding it difficult to borrow. Um, and, um, you know, there was at one point, you know, the potential sort of meltdown of the whole financial um, world. I think our sales fell, fell around 40% um, the first full year after and then another 20% the following year. And the reason for that was that, um, you know, people, there wasn't a, a lot of economic activity um, that, that dropped. Um, and. So I used to say to people, if you if 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 you had a customer who actually wanted to borrow money and there weren't very many, um, then you then you had to try and find a, a lender who wanted to lend money and there weren't very many of those at all. So the combination of those two made life pretty difficult. But um, uh, during that period, we we then you know used that time to really look again at, at our business. And um, Dave and I attended um, a seminar called um, uh, Climbing Out, um, fellow uh, Professor Kaplan from Harvard. Um, and uh, we, we went and did the course and um, he was one of the creators of the Balanced Scorecard. Um, and so we d decided to apply that to our business. And out of that, we came to the conclusion that, um, you know, we had the opportunity to use this time to actually grow our business, which sounds pretty counterintuitive, but the opportunity was there. 
Um, and then how are we going to, where were we going to get the, the talent to do that? Well, the best talent we ever we could get was, our, you know, the talent we employed ourselves. So we, we wanted to go and develop, steal people off other people, uh, other companies. We grow our own. So we started a, um, a graduate program. Um, we looked for people who were um, hardworking, um, wanted to be in the industry we're in, although a lot of them had no idea what we did. Um, and they'd say, well, why don't you go straight to the bank? <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I'd, I'd say the young people who, um, you know, thinking about this industry, the great thing about it is you, you get to speak to people. You get, you, get, you get to meet people who are running a business. Everyone does it slightly differently. Um, there are all sorts of different businesses out there. The, the, the specialisation people have is just extraordinary. And just to be able to hear their story and, and be involved in, with them in what they're doing, you know, it, it, it's a real honour. So once people get that, once young people get that, they really want to be with us. And um, so we started a program where we'd, 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 um, we set up um, our own sort of training course. Um, because in those days, uh, there was a uh, certificate in mortgage broking, but not really in uh, commercial equipment finance broking. So since then, um, CAFBA, which is the Commercial and Asset Finance Brokers Association, of which I'm a former a founding director and uh, I'm founding director and former president, and currently the uh, uh, chair of the Education um, Foundation, it, uh, it created a course and then it created a diploma and we have just completed a, um, a post-nominal internationally recognised um, uh, certified lease finance professional. So um, that, that's, as I said, it's internationally recognised that we've worked in with the United States, Canada and the UK and Australia. So um, in the Anglo, the Anglo sphere. Um, and, and it's a great course. So it, it handles everything from, you know, broking to banking to credit to securitisation. You know, that is raising the money to run um, a, 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 an equipment book, a, a equipment finance book. Um, and so it's the whole gamut. It's probably a couple of units of the masters and um, uh, we've just signed up our first 15 people so so coming back to the graduate program that didn't exist you didn't have a you basically had to create a training program from scratch yeah how did you go about that well we sort of went back to finesse <laughs> we just went back to what we did the, the process we did and and went through the process and and then how, you know, and, and a lot of sales, um, you know, making sure they did bring people back and arrived on time, you know, that, that it was neat and tidy, keeping with those sort of fundamental principles. Um, so then, you know, and part of that was to, what, what had also happened in the meantime, really out, the, out of the back of the GFC was, um, for years there was no uh, matrix lending at all. Um, so that, by that I mean, you know, if you qualify on your own, your home, been in business for two years, new equipment coming from a recognised supplier, therefore the computer says yes and the deal's done. Um, that's actually, you know, been a big change in our industry. Um, and like everything, it's a bit of a two-edged sword. It's been fantastic um, in one way, but it's, had, it's certainly been detrimental in others. So the fantastic side was existing uh, clients for you know, the, um, the VW Amarok, you could do in seconds virtually, and especially with a, a good um, CRM, and you already had all that information, and you could verify the information, then you could do it very, very quickly, and very accurately as well. So that, so that suited those young graduates to, to learn, cut their teeth doing that, 
because you didn't need a lot of expertise. You, you needed attention to detail, you needed to be a person who was interested in other people, interested in their business, but you didn't, you know, you, you didn't have to have um, a particular amount of expertise. Having said that, the people we employed did have expertise, do have expertise, because we, we've always employed people who have either accounting, economics, commerce, mathematics um, uh, degrees, so that they're, 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 they're academically qualified within that world. Um, so where it's been detrimental, and it's been very detrimental, ha has been that part of the, the early take was from the lender's perspective was what we'll do, all of those deals that been in business for more than two years, never missed a payment, da 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 da. We're going to do that very quickly. What that'll allow us to do is to spend more time on the more complex transactions that that you know normally we're sort of trying to rush through and we can't get through. But now we can just do all those deals really quickly and we're going to sit down and really study the ones that are more complex. Well what's happened is if the deal doesn't fit into the computer says yes, it doesn't even get to we're going to go into and that sort of process that went on for probably yeah maybe five years to the point where the people who had the skills to actually do the review have been transferred somewhere and that department doesn't exist anymore so even if they wanted to actually take the time to really understand a complex deal there's no one there with those skills so i think that's that's something that um CAFA um, is really going to have to try and fight for Australian business because it'll it'll eventually affect um, people in you know the entrepreneurs in Australia because there were just no one with the skills to sit down and make a credit decision and and you know credit offices as hard as hard as they are are important because you know their main responsibility is to protect the shareholders funds and the people who've invested you know or got their money on deposit you know in the bank so the idea is definitely get the money, you know, to go back to where I started at, at OGC, the first thing you do is got to get the money back. You know, banks don't want gear back, they don't want anything back, they just want the money. You know. that, that's all, they've got, they haven't got any space to put excavators in high-rise offices, you know, they, they just want, just give us the money, that's all they want. So that's the heart, that, that's the main, that's their main objective is to get their money back and you need somebody with the skills who can make that call. And at the moment, we're losing that, that skill. So um, we, we, we need to be aware of that. And as I said, you know, we, well, we, 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 um, we see the credit offices as the dark side, and I say that lightly. Um, the reality is it's, they're really important people, really important people, and they're important because they protect the shareholder. They make, if they're making good decisions, that, that's good for Australian business, it's good for Australian entrepreneurs, it's good for the Australian economy. Um, so we don't need, we can't lose them. We can't lose good ones, especially. So, um, before we wrap up, I just want to quickly uh, get a snapshot of where you are today. So, you're obviously still very active in the, in the business community, still very active in the finance um, community with your roles at CAFPA. Just chat to us a little bit about this new endeavour or enterprise called the, uh, the the farm. The farm, yeah. Well, look, another thing that you're responsible for, um, when as you remember, when you were I think 13, we went on, it, we took you on a tour of uh, New Zealand. I was assistant coach to uh, Hilly George T Hill Haulage, um, who was the coach and um, successful team, six games, six wins, and. Um, we came back, and one of the one of the other parents was um, a professor at Royal North Shore Hospital in intensive care. He was um, uh, bemoaning the fact that there was no uh, funds for research. So, a group of the parents that were on that uh, rugby tour said, uh, "Look, if we can take a bunch of kids to New Zealand to play rugby, we should be able to raise money for you know a life or death intensive care program." So uh, we did, and. Um, you know, 20 or 30 odd years on um, uh, that program. I'm, I'm a founding director of that organisation, which actually was established on our back balcony. Um, and, um, and that's called Northcare Foundation. Um, 
I think we've we've supplied we've we've provided uh, uh, um, three hundred nearer five hundred I think um, uh, nurses with with uh, the funds to um, for higher education intensive care. Um, we've, we've funded, um, or seed funded, um, a nurse practitioners, um, which it's sort of new designation, a nurse practitioner, which during the during COVID um, became incredibly important because um, you, you know one of the things during COVID was every, every hospital was short of intensive care beds. The beds are easy to buy. You, know, you can buy the bed from you know. Like from a sleeping giant or whatever, whoever sells beds, but it's the staff, it's, it's, it's getting the trained staff, it's a key part. So that what they were doing is they were using cardiac um, cardiac nurses and general nurses to become intensive care nurses. Um, and then they, they had a sort of a, 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 a middle range management, um, these um, uh, nurse practitioners. And we, 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 it was a concept created in the United States. We'd funded, Northcare funded the first uh, uh, education program of that, which we, we linked in with Sydney University to do that. So that whole program, that whole education program, was well used during during COVID. And in fact, North Shore was the uh, took more COVID patients in New South Wales by a long shot than any other hospital. And, and it was because of those programs that we did. So that was because you went on the tour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so I'm still involved in Northcare. Uh, CAFPA, I'm still involved in CAFPA. Um, and um, uh, yeah, then I went and bought a, uh, we went and bought a small farm. Um, I remember you rang me a week in and said, how's it going? And I said, it's sort of mixed between uh, Clarkson's farm and Russell Coit's all lots of adventures. <laughs> At that stage, the first week I'd broken my hand. Uh, I did some fencing that looked like I'd gone three rounds with a tiger. It scratches, <laughs> scratches all over me. Uh, but it's a lot of fun and I'm learning a lot. Yeah. And the economics of farming? Oh, I think it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 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 God bless their hearts. They're, they're hard workers. Well, Dad, thank you very much. It's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Al.